Then it was my turn. I stood on the side of the stage and heard a little voice in my head that said, let us do this. I felt warm and held, a feeling similar to that of having my childhood guides around. I mentally answered, okay, and felt compelled to enter the stage by doing a cartwheel. I took a deep breath and said to myself, here we go. You've entered into the world of alternate realities. Here, paradigms are shifted, minds are blown, and veils are lifted. Actual supernatural experiences are brought to life through storytelling by the people who experience them. Welcome to Adventures in Mysticism with Leah Grant, where the esoteric is explored and consciousness is expanded. Visit adventuresinmysticism.com to further your spiritual development through Leia's latest offerings. And now we continue with this episode's mystical adventure. I was tone deaf, at least one or two tones, and couldn't read music. While other children were being taken to music lessons weekly, my parents let me decide what extracurricular activities I wanted to do. I had opted to be a brownie, be on the swim team, and to spend my afternoons on the back of a horse, learning dressage and preparing to ride in hunter-jumper competitions. This made me the child the music teacher decided would play the xylophone. If you aren't familiar with a xylophone, it looks like the grown-up version of a toy. I had as a baby. It's a rectangular box that has wooden bars across it in varying lengths, and you hit them with a mallet to make the sound come out. It takes all the skill of, well, a baby to do it. And most songs have a pretty limited part for the xylophone. However, I was fine with my minimal role since I didn't have any aspirations to be a musician and I wasn't motivated at the time to learn how to read music. As I got older, I did enjoy singing along with songs in the car. In my mind, I was singing them like the musicians, so I would just belt them right out there. I even got comfortable enough to do this around one of my boyfriends, who, God bless him, on a road trip, after hearing me slaughter a few songs in a row, said to me in a very trepidatious voice, I'd, uh, what, what do you think of us uh, listening to the singers sing the songs? That seemed like the gentlest way he could convey to me that my singing left a little bit to be desired. I continued to sing like a rock star when alone in the car, but stopped subjecting others to whatever I sounded like. So when I attended a women's spiritual retreat in South America, and the leader announced that the evening's program would be each of us getting on stage and singing a song, I cringed. The rest of the afternoon and through dinner, I had fretted over what song to sing. There were about 20 of us, 
So I thought that maybe if I didn't volunteer, we'd run out of time for me. But I had attended programs with this leader before and knew that he'd go till sunup if he had to, in order to make sure that every single one of us sang a song. As each woman went in front of the group, and I witnessed some amazing talent, one woman was even a trained singer. I surrendered the desire to be good. I wasn't even sure I could remember the lyrics to a song beyond row, row, row your boat. So I gave myself a pep talk and convinced myself that I would just go up on stage, have fun, and sing whatever came out of my mouth. I wasn't going to care what it was. I would give it to God and allow. I had no idea what would happen. I figured worst case, I would sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. To prepare, I stopped focusing on my head chatter and was just present with the other singers. As my turn approached, I felt more and more calm, trusting that it would all be fine no matter what happened. Everyone hadn't been Mariah Carey, and one girl had sung Mary Had a Little Lamb, so the pressure was off. When it was my turn, I stood on the side of the stage and heard a little voice in my head that said, let us do this. I felt warm and held, a feeling similar to that of having my childhood guides around. I mentally answered, okay. I stepped forward and felt compelled to enter the stage by doing a cartwheel. Here we go. As I playfully cartwheeled my adult body, surprising myself that I was able to do so after so many years of not even thinking to attempt it. My channel opened, and when I uprighted, I began singing in light language. It was beautiful. It was opera-like. It was ethereal. The sound was singing me. And I felt completely lit up and allowed my body to flow with the emotion of the incomprehensible words coming forth. Through a haze of brilliant glowing light, I could see the jaws of the women in the audience dropped and looks of shock on all their faces. When I finished, I felt a bit high and sat down in my chair, breathing heavily and deeply working to ground myself. I noticed a few of the girls had tears running down their faces. The enormity of what had just occurred didn't fully register with me. I knew the leader's assistant was taping the performances and I looked forward to watching it back. Unfortunately, something malfunctioned and my performance didn't record, whereas all the others had. After everyone had finished, the group leader pulled me aside and explained that I had channeled angels who had sung through me. He said he could even see them around me as I performed. He encouraged me to sing more, saying that I had an absolutely beautiful voice. 
Now, that was something I'd never heard before. That night in the dorm and the following morning at breakfast, some of the other participants said they had seen the angels around me as well, and that the music I sang felt otherworldly and had impacted them deeply. I ended up singing at a few of that teacher's other events, but hadn't planned to channel angels singing outside of that safe environment. But the angels had other plans. On my trust trip, a story that I'm going to share in the next episode, I was driving in Los Angeles when I got guidance to go to Ojai. I had been to Ojai, California before a few times. One of my friends lived there, and I'd been to a spiritual retreat or two there as well. However, I got that I wasn't going up there to see my friend. Since it was a popular time of the year to visit, I called ahead and made hotel reservations. I drove up the next day. I arrived at the hotel at check-in time and was told that housekeeping was a bit behind and my room wasn't ready yet, so could I come back in an hour? I needed a pedicure, so I drove to the little strip mall down the road and went to the salon, but they were too busy to take me at that moment and also said to come back in an hour. This salon was on one corner of the mall and on the other end was a coffee shop. I had been on the road and always carried water with me, but something more refreshing sounded good and a coffee shop seemed like a good place to wait. As I was walking toward the coffee shop, I got a clear message to stop. I stopped, looked around, and saw that I was standing in front of a recording studio. There was a sign on the door advertising a free group voice recording lesson taking place the next day. I knew immediately that I was to sign up, so I called the number and registered. As soon as I had done that, I got a text from the hotel saying that my room was ready. I ended up being the only attendee of the voice recording class, which the engineer said was very odd because he almost always had three or four people in every group. I intuitively knew there was a reason, but didn't say anything to him about it. He took me through his syllabus, teaching me about microphones and pop filters and how you went to sing into a mic to achieve different results and how to sing with headphones on. Now, this whole thing required me to sing in front of someone I did not know, something I was still not comfortable with. He said to sing just whatever. It crossed my mind to let the angels sing through me. As I thought that thought, he told me that he was a member of a Pentecostal church and wondered if I'd ever sung in tongues. I had to chuckle to myself how perfectly orchestrated this encounter was, so I allowed some light language to be channeled through. After hearing me and us playing around for a bit, he asked if I wanted to record a song in the future. I told him that I didn't read music or think that I was good enough to do that but I admitted to him that it seemed like I'd been brought here for that reason. I added that I also didn't play any instruments and hadn't come across any musicians to collaborate with. He smiled broadly and said, how about me? I play guitar, 
bass, piano, synthesizer, and I can program drums or lay in any other kind of track you might want. And just like that, I had a band and a recording studio and a sound engineer. I left that day with the task of figuring out what my songs would be. Once I had that, he said we'd put together a recording and editing schedule and go from there. He advised me that it would probably take several months to complete a full album. I had a meal at my favorite place in OJ that night, the farmer and the cook, and I pondered my options. I knew I didn't want to make an album of just random light language, but if not that, then what? At the time, I was still a full-time executive coach to financial advisors and had the idea in my head that if I publicly released an album of me channeling angels, I'd lose all of my contracts and be deemed a nut job. I wasn't ready to fully let go and allow for divine rollout. My spiritual teacher had suggested that my voice lended itself well to Sanskrit, sung like Deva Pramal sings it. I started listening to her music and felt aligned with that assessment. At the time, I was meditating for an hour every morning at 4 a.m., and then after, I would either attend prayer call, do an hour of yoga, or do an hour of journaling. Several days after returning to Los Angeles from Ojai, I felt compelled to journal after meditation, and the pen flowed that morning as if guided by a deep force within me. Out onto the page flowed not just the idea for ecstatic meditation, but the idea for an ecstatic meditation series, the script for the first ecstatic meditation, and I could even see visuals of what all the covers would look like. Inspiration had struck. There was crystal clear clarity. I was going to create this combination of movement and mantra and meditation and music. And it would be called ecstatic meditation. I called the studio owner that day, shared my idea with him, and we booked for me to come up to Ojai the following weekend for our first recording sessions. In the meantime, one of the guys I had gone on a few dates with in LA said he'd love to design the covers. He ended up actually creating the logo, my business cards, a postcard for advertising, and the front and back cover of the first ecstatic meditation album, which ended up being called One, and the cover of the second album called Duet. He didn't even charge me. And they were exactly as I had envisioned them. Recording was so easy and smooth. We got all of my tracks done in one day, which consisted of me reading the introduction segment and then singing the same Sanskrit chant over and over in different ways, however it wanted to come out. Since I wasn't a musician, I left it up to the engineer to choose what music he felt went well with my voice. This apparently is not a typical way to create an album, but he went with it and was so inspired. He stayed at the studio after I left that day and laid down several tracks of different potential music to go with it. 
The next day, he shared them with me. He also showed me how he could layer my different voices within the track. I loved how this sounded. Like I have these little backup singers, except all the voices were me. He and I decided on a music style, and he said to give him a week or so, and he'd have it done, and I could come up and we'd do final edits. He kept telling me he'd never done an album in this short of time with this much ease and grace. He was in awe. Since I didn't have any experiences of how hard it was supposed to be or how long it was supposed to take, I just rolled with it. And the result was nothing less than amazing. Here's a little clip of how the collaboration turned out. hard for me to believe that's me when I hear it, but it always makes me smile and feel warm. From my first little stop in Ojai to completed album being up for sale was about six weeks. I loved my collaboration with the first musician, but got clear guidance that duet was to be done with a different one. A few years ago, I thought I'd met the man who would be my collaborator on that project. He was on board to do it, but between my work schedule and his touring schedule, it hasn't aligned for us to get together and record. I'm trusting that when the time is right, the second, as well as the other four albums I saw, will be created, whether it's with him or with another musician. Until I'm called forth to step into the studio again, I'll keep my voice primed by playing rock star in the car and keep my channel clear through meditation and discernment. Thank you for listening. If you want to know more about ecstatic meditation, you can visit ecstaticmeditation.com. In my next episode, I'll share an 18-month-long adventure I call my trust trip. Until then, remember that your spiritual journey is a supernatural adventure in and of itself. Enjoy the unfolding and embrace the unknown. Thank you for joining today's Adventures in Mysticism with Leah Grant. To go on more journeys with Leah, subscribe now. To step more fully into your spiritual role of bringing about a positive high-frequency future for humanity, visit adventuresinmysticism.com.